0: Welcome to the Mixing Light interview series. This podcast is brought to you by MixingLight.com. We're a color grading training membership website. This free series focuses on interviews with the talented individuals who work in television and film post-production. Today, we've invited Mixing Light's attorney, who also (laughs) happens to be a filmmaker, Seth Polanski, here on our podcast to talk about to talk with us in the context of this COVID-19 environment we find us ourselves in. And, and Seth, before we get there, just, can you just uh, say hello and uh, just give us a little bit of context about who you are?
1: Sure. My name is Seth Polanski. I am a filmmaker and an attorney. I've been doing the attorney thing for about 22 years now. Uh, The filmmaker thing for about half of that with my lovely wife and partner. And uh, yeah, it's, it's been an interesting couple of weeks now with regard to this whole, uh, this whole COVID-19 thing. My firm has been slammed with people asking questions about, you know, X, Y, or Z isn't in my contract. What do I do? Or I have this in my contract. How do I interpret it? So it's, it's been some, it's been an interesting time to be an attorney.
0: Now, let me ask you, I mean, when these calls started coming in, were you fully prepared? Like, like, is, is this stuff that, that is so out of the blue that you just kind of had to open up the books and take a look at this? Or, or is this kind of like, no, nah, we deal with this type of stuff all the time anyway?
1: I, I, will, I will say one thing about that. Um, if you came to an attorney to have your contract drafted, you probably have good clauses in there that will help you. If you did not, if you found it on the internet and your contract is something that you cobbled together, you are probably unprepared for what's hitting you. So uh, yeah, I mean, we deal with uh, every day. If if my contract doesn't have a force majeure clause, I put one in. If my contract doesn't have a kill fee, I put one in. Um, it, you know, it, it, there are sliding scales you want, you know, if you do a partial kill. So I try to put those in all my contracts too. At the end of the day, it, you know, those contracts you find online for free are worth exactly what you paid for them.
0: Do they have to be, can you do this? Cause a, a lot of creatives and you know, our audience is gonna, they're gonna be colorists, they're gonna be editors, freelancers essentially or maybe very small shops, they may have trouble. These types of individuals may not either be comfortable getting their clients to sign a contract, or they may use kind of the bid that then gets accepted electronically with language at the end of it as sort of their contract clause. Is that yeah. kind of acceptable for you, or do you, do you really want like a standalone contract? I would never recommend a client do
1: that ever. Um, at the end of the day, I've had clients that are just so adamant, adamantly dead set against using a formal contract that I've just said here, you know, here is a eight point font back of the paper. So on the front is your quote and on the back is one column of you. You have to have these eight terms. If you don't, I, I I'm I will never be able to help you if there's a dispute. Right. So right. I, I would never recommend first off that you work without a contract. Um, second, if you're going to have your quote, which will become your contract, which is the case for a lot of people. They don't realize that, right? right. And those quotes don't right. have aim and terms in them. They don't have limitation of liability. They don't have choice of law. They don't have force majeure clauses. They don't have kill fees. You know, the quotes that become contracts usually are just awful. And, you know, when it comes across my desk, I just shake my head sadly and say, you know, are you are you so happy now that you saved $350 on an hour of my time and, and you didn't have me review your your template? You just decided to use this. You know, it's, it's, it's funny, but people have to get bit once or twice before they realize that perhaps you should have an attorney look at your templates.
0: Well, then, so how do you advise? Uh, and, and we will get to the topic of the day, but I, I find this very interesting. How do you advise uh, a creative professional who, you know, they're are a one off, uh, they're a one man band, a one woman band, and they just they're not comfortable with these conversations. How do you advise that they present this when they're presenting their bid, um, and get the client to sign this? Like actually make it so that the client follows through with you.
1: My, my I, I will answer a question with a question, right? Yes. If you are uncomfortable having this conversation with the client, <laughs> hey, I need you to sign a contract. Imagine. Yeah. how – Comfortable. The conversation later is going to be, "Hey, you didn't pay me, right?" Yeah. So if, if you can't have that conversation up first, and, and you're that conflict avoidant, you're gonna have a lot of trouble running a business. Period.
0: Right. You know, there's there's so, there's a concept that not everyone is is destined to run their own business, right? And sometimes that's right. what companies are really good for. First off, you have to know what's in your contract. If you know what's in your contract, you should have
1: no problem asking somebody to sign it because you can explain everything that's in your contract. So right. you know, I'll, for a lot of my clients, I'll draft it. And it'll be an extra hour of my time, but then my client knows and they can make little tweaks and edits without me. They know what's in it and they know what each clause means. And that's important. If you're running your business, you have to know the language that drives the thing behind the work you're doing. You have to understand what you're
0: committing and and what you're asking the other party to commit to. So you hire an attorney and um, so you got that group of people and then the group of people who are basically using some very fundamental clauses in a bid and, and they call it a day. So now we're in this environment where, uh, you know, we've got this COVID-19, we've got the social distancing, we've got this lockdown. It fundamentally changes the way people do business and jobs are disappearing as production grinds to and halt. And and I got this question off of a Blue Collar Post Collective, their Facebook page, yep. uh, their group page. And, and there was someone, I, th- I believe it was an editor, who was asking if if he should go back to his client for a kill fee since a job that they had committed to hiring him for suddenly disappeared and he had turned other work away and that other work had been subsequently filled by another, other creatives. And he kind of feels like, or she, I forget it's a man or woman, they kind of feel like they were owed something or maybe they could, they had some sort of grounds to go back and ask for some sort of kill fee. In a certain sense, it's kind of a one-word answer, isn't it?
1: Is it in the contract?
0: Yeah, there's that's, no. I don't that's, that's there the the
1: there, right? Yeah. So exactly. I, when I was when I was wee baby attorney, uh, I worked for CSC, and I had a great director of contracts. Uh, CSC was a very large government contracting company, you know, multi hundred million dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars a company, and uh, I had a great director of contracts, Carol Hicks, and she would always ask whenever I walked into her office with a question, she would ask. What does the contract say? And no matter what question I had, like, seriously. And she would always say, well, what does the contract say? And part of it was to make sure we were actually reading the things and and understanding what was in them and, you know, if she was teaching us. But it's really stuck with me. And whenever somebody comes to me with a question, the first thing I ask is, well, what does your contract say about this? Right? And we're back to that issue of do you have a contract? Okay, hopefully you do. And if you do, was it, it professionally drafted? And does it have the language you're looking for in it. You know, in everything I do, everything I touch, there's a force majeure clause, which we'll touch up, we'll get to later. Yeah. Uh, there's, in the in the statement of work, I usually put a kill fee. Um, I put a rounds of revision, half the time creatives never put that in there. You know, yeah. how many times can it be rejected? For what reasons? What's your turnaround on the rounds of revision? You know, they can't sit on it for 30 days and then say I want changes just because, just because some VP looked at it and wants to change the color of something you know? So there are a yeah. lot of things you need to put in your contract. So yeah, it, by law, you have no right to a kill fee. And here, here's your answer in one sentence. By right, by law or, or by anything, you have no right to a kill fee unless it's written in your contract.
0: And if you don't have a contract, therefore you don't have a kill
1: fee. Well, and here's the fun part, right? You probably do have a contract because there is a, such a thing as oral contracts, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that quote probably became your contract. But guess what? There's no termination clause in it. There's no notice provisions for termination. There's no whatever. You know, if they really wanted to make the argument, here's a fun one. If they really wanted to make the argument, the argument could be made that, well, without a termination fee, you can't terminate. I have to keep <laughs> doing this work. You have to keep paying me. Why, why do you Why do you get to, to shut off the work? Right. right. And I put that in my contracts, too. I mean, there's there's a very it's about a half page in most of my contracts termination who gets to terminate why what reasons and how much notice they have to give
0: well and so you're kind of making the case that i really do need to hire an attorney to look at my contracts and to and well, to and, draw up these these employment agreements for me on a project by project and people think it's so expensive it's not like look i'll yeah. tell you straight up i charge 350
1: an hour it's an hour of my time for me to do a template for you maybe a half an hour for me to explain it to you and you know is that five hundred dollars Worth your time, headaches, your sleepless nights over? Am I protected? You know, there's so many things there. It just, it boggles my brain. Some people that, have been, that I know that have been in the industry for a long time and they work on handshake deals and, and emails and, you know, I'm reminded of an old Marvel. The artists that used to work for Marvel had a, a, a fun um, anecdote and it was, uh, they would get paid payment by lawsuit. They got paid when they threatened to file a lawsuit. So, you know, it just it it makes my head hurt to think that people are still operating like that. And and we know corporations are operating like that. We we know that they'll withhold payment if there's no if there's no penalty for them not making the payment. There's no interest provision. There's no late payment provision. Why would they pay you on time? Who cares?
0: Well, and in fact, I've even there's a a lot of really good uh, collections advice that says you actually put early payment clauses in there. Because some of them have no choice but to take advantage of that if they're publicly traded and it's, it's yeah. by their own terms.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah. And what you, you just give them a 10% discount. Say, hey, look, if you pay early, if you pay 15 days, we'll give you a 10% discount. And that's, you know, you can actually cash flow projections. You can do monthly cash flow projections and really count on that money because, number one, they want their discount. And number two, they're required to.
0: Exactly. So all right, so let's take us now into the current environment. and let's assume that uh, you do have a contract, and let's assume I've hired sure. you and I've got a contract, and now a project has disappeared on me. what what what's the legal landscape that we're we're operating under right now?
1: so we're we're in a very, very odd position in that. Um, a lot of I'm already seeing it with small businesses. One of my friends, particularly and, and also a client, runs a landscaping business in Virginia. And, of course, you know, the workers can't go to work. that He can't go out. And the insurance has already denied his claim, saying that uh, this isn't force majeure. Um, you know, it's not an act of God. It's an act of government. So I, I think there's – I think we're going to see an amazing – yeah, I think we're going to be seeing an amazing amount of litigation over this. I'm not a litigator. And, you know, if I were, I might be, you know, sitting in the corner like, you know. <laughs> ha, 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 ha. But, you know, I, I just – I can't imagine that we're not going to see a, a huge amount of litigation over over insurance claims uh, based on this, the upcoming few weeks.
0: So the force majeure co- uh, clause, that specifically refers to act of God, acts of God. Uh, well, here, right? I'll, I'll tell
1: you. So it, it basically comes from Latin, meaning superior force or major force, right, force majeure. It literally legally means an unavoidable event that no matter what you do, you cannot possibly prepare for. Right? right. You can try to prepare for an earthquake, but you can't stop it. It's going to happen. You know, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. A hurricane. Right. right now, you know, say a major rainfall that floods. Well, if you built your business on a floodplain and don't have flood insurance, force majeure is not going to be covered covering you there. Right. right. But it's, it's things that are completely and utterly unavoidable. My argument would be that these businesses should be covered. This business interruption insurance should cover them because it is a force majeure. Because obviously, no one can stop a, a global pandemic. You can't, no matter what you do, you, you can't prepare for that adequately,
0: right? And, and be no different than declaring martial law after an earthquake, you know? Right. And you can't move, and that's why it wasn't the earthquake that got you, it was the martial law afterwards that got you.
1: Well, and you know, this was part of why it took so long. It took almost 10 years to deal with all the lawsuits after 9-11, because of course, the insurance companies didn't want to pay for anything, because what well, was... Yeah. Terrorism, it's not an act of war. It wasn't an act of war. <laughs> it was right. a terrorist act, right? So the, the, the litigation and the arguments were, well, this isn't force majeure. It wasn't an act of. Active wars are, have been settled to be force majeure. But terror is, is terrorism war? No war was declared. So the insurance companies were arguing it. It was awful.
0: So I'm the artist. I've hired you. I've got a force majeure clause. What is that clause going to say, generally speaking, And and how does that protect me?
1: So what we normal, what I normally put in a force majeure clause is if you're prevented by a force majeure from doing or receiving the work for a period of seven days, right? If, if a week – if there's something major going on for a week, then either party can terminate the contract without further liability other than that that's already set forth in the contract.
0: Ah, okay. So either side gets – so you're not just looking at it on one side and only I get to do it. It, it. You would write it in that both sides get to do it.
1: Yeah, sure. Because they need yeah. – like say you have a force majeure in California. This is a weird situation because this is a global force majeure. Usually they're localized, right? It's a flood in a state, it's quake, it's, you know, whatever happened, a a hurricane, right? Usually force, major forces are localized. This one is the entire world. Uh, So what what I'm normally thinking about when I write these clauses is that uh, the company should be able to go out and find another vendor to provide the services because you can't. And on the vendor side, the creative side, you know, you obviously can't perform, or the company can't receive. Let's say their their office is, you know, sitting in the middle of a fault somewhere in California. There's, you know, yep. there, there's no computers. There might not even be a company left. You know, you you shouldn't be required to go and show up and do some editing at a place that doesn't exist. So you should be able to terminate too, right? right. So we want both sides to be able to do that if they cannot receive or deliver on, um, you know, for so many days. At that point, now we now we come to the the kill fee. Right. If we've done it right, if there, if there's a termination for force majeure, then you get ah. paid for the work you've already done. You might not get paid for the work you were supposed to do, because obviously it's an act of God and nobody could have predicted it. But at least, right. you know, you're going to get paid up to the date of the actual termination. So, you know, you've got seven days in there where actually you might not be able to work or whatever, but there's going to be some indebtedness going on
0: there. Make sense? Right yeah it does. it does. So the force majeure is basically the trigger for w- or one potential trigger for the kill fee.
1: Yeah well, it's a trigger for termination either or termination. You, if there's a force majeure event that is ongoing and the contract can't be performed, then it's it's uh, the trigger for the for the termination.
0: And, and does it does it matter whether or not you know federal, state or local uh, governments, make certain declarations for force majeure to come into effect. I mean, are we looking if if you're looking for, a for to to execute a force majeure clause are, is there something external you're looking for that says, yeah, definitely we're in that situation?
1: Well, I mean, you know, the point is that it's going to be argued. It's it, so the, four, the 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 entire legal theory comes from British common law, right? Which yeah. means the cases that came before, you know, stare decisis, the cases that came before are the cases that will that you'll look at to determine how we're going to adjudicate this case. It's always going to be a matter of law. And I submit to you, it's going to be awful for the, for the small creative, but they're going to end up litigating with their insurance companies over, did I lose this money because of an a- of a force majeure? And is my insurance going to kick in to cover it? Ooh. So this is another topic we probably should have a little chat about. Um, I, I Whenever I set up an LLC or an S Corp or C Corp for, for a creative endeavor, one of the first conversations I have is, not only do you need to do this, you need to get business insurance, and it's fifteen hundred bucks a year for a small business, right. you know, and that includes business interruption insurance. About fifty percent of my clients do it; the other fifty don't. Guess which fifty percent of my clients are sleeping
0: better at night right now? The ones who have business insurance. Exactly. So, now, what will a good you know, business insurance? I mean, will that? Uh, will that? I, mean, I know I have business insurance, but I actually. I haven't looked at it really closely in a while. I suppose I should probably pull up that uh, that contract and see what's in it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I you know that 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 sentence you just uttered, I've heard about forty times in the last three days. I suppose <laughs> I should look at that insurance contract, that that rider to see what I signed, and do I have interruption insurance or do I have casualty or loss insurance? What do I have? So right. yeah, it's um, you should always get business interruption insurance, which covers things like this, right? I mean, if you're a one person shop and and you get pneumonia, I really hope you have business interruption insurance because, you know, you're going to lose a month of work and and somebody needs to help you pay for that.
0: It never whenever I've I've done my business insurance, I've never thought about it to protect me against what you just said. I've always thought about it to protect me. I'm in Florida, hurricane, right? Yeah. And being unable to perform some work, but I never thought of it. I've got a
1: $50,000 camera that I hope nothing happens to. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Right. My father was a a one-man shop. He ran a baker. I remember him trying to buy insurance, you know, and this was in the 80s, right? The early 80s, trying to buy insurance for a one-person business. And every question he would ask, every broker that came to the house, and there was no internet then, but you're right. They would yeah. have to come to the house and present all their papers on the, on the table. And every, every time they would have no answer for him, you know, when he would say, you know, I've got three weddings this weekend, right? I can't make the wedding cakes. I can't make the, pot, the pastries. I can't make whatever. Not only is this going to affect my profit this month, but these people are going to go out and it, I'm, it's going to have far reaching effects because they're the, the guy who was supposed to make their wedding cake, didn't make their wedding cake. Right? right. So, you know, were they going to cover him for that, for that business interruption, for that loss in future revenue? It, it, it was a very eye opening thing for me as a kid to hear. You know, so a lot of business owners don't think about these, you know, they don't think about that. then that's something actually we should talk about before we move into the next thing. Politics, not, you know, Republican, Democrat politics. But are you going to go back and ask your client for a kill fee, even if it's in your contract? Are you going to ask to pay interest on a on a month old late payment, even though it's in your contract, right? You, you kind of count yeah. on them for future work, and you don't want to poison the well. So that's well, something and that's I, an interesting
0: question, have... right? I mean, even in this environment yeah. right now, let's say I had a kill fee in there, and my client says, "Look, my client just canceled the project on this. Yep. They're not going to be paying me." I mean, are you going to go back to that client and say, "But the contract says
1: exactly." What I would do at that point, and I've had this discussion again several times over the last few days, um, what I would do is I would go back to my client and say, I'll take whatever, you, you know, I, I value this relationship. If you get something, you know, you have to agree in writing to disclose to me what you get. But yeah. if you get something, I'll take what you get, not, I'll take the percentage I would get of what you got. Yeah. So if you re- agree to a reduced kill fee, I'll agree to the reduced kill fee. Yeah. You know, that way you're showing your your good business partner and, you know, you want to you keep working with them, but you can't settle for nothing. You know, you're not a pushover.
0: Right. Now, in that situation, I mean, you're essentially, it's kind of a trust game, right? You're just assuming that... Well, that's
1: what I said. You got to tell, you got to say in writing, you got to certify in writing, like, look, we got 20% of what we're supposed to get. I certify this and, you know, here's 20% of what you would have got.
0: Gotcha. Okay.
1: And you really don't have a way to find out if they're bullshitting you, but at the end of the day... You you know, it's it's something's better than nothing. And who knows, you might have a contact inside the larger corporation who said, "Eh, no, they kind of screwed you at that point. Then you can sue. But who knows? We're back to that politics question.
0: Yeah. I mean, and and the the funny thing is, that's the type of thing that you'll hear about six months later and you'll be like, wait, what? You got a kill fee there. Right. And and that's that's usually how those types of things come out Uh, when once this emergency has passed and everyone's kind of forgotten about how we all treated each other during this time.
1: I mean, uh, you know, there's been a meme floating around and I'm gonna repeat it here because it, it bears repeating. And you know, the biggest thing that's gonna come out of the next three weeks is how we treat each other, both, yeah. both from a business and a personal perspective. You know, just just be good to each other. It's just because you have a contract that says you get this money. Well, you know, the person who hired you has got to put food on the table
0: for their kids too. And I, I think that's, you know, it's it's just a function of fairness you know, you want to treat others the way you'd want to be treated. I mean, it's the golden rule, right? Um, And and that's true whether or not you have a contract. And that's kind of (laughs) why, you know, it's funny. I talked to Robbie. I'm like, so I read this post on blue collar post. Do you think I should do this podcast with Seth? And he's like, dude, it's a one word answer. It's like, do you have a, do you have (laughs) a right to charge a kill fee? No, we're like, there's a, we're in a pandemic. Right. And, um, and so it's kind of a one word answer, but you know, I don't have too many questions left on this topic. I mean, the, the question that, you know, I kind of outlined for myself was, you know, how do you protect yourself from work disappearing generally? Like, let's say we get outside of this, um, because right now, I mean, in a, like a force majeure situation, you can't protect yourself from work disappearing. It's just going to go away on you. Yeah. Um, the question is, when you're outside of this, and I, I know what your answer is going to be now, um, you know, what is it that you could do to help protect yourself? And the answer is get a contract, a good one. A and, yeah. and, and,
1: you know, I'll, I, I my attorney colleagues are going to shoot me in the head for this one. They're going to laugh at me, but I'd say that's 80 percent of it. The other 20 percent is be a human being. Don't right. don't don't be I've got and I'll name them right here. I, I have a client who had was just about to rent a WeWork space. And if you follow WeWork in the news, <laughs> they are yes. they are pretty much an example of how not to run a startup. They are yes. one of the crappiest corporate entities that exists in the world right now. And uh, they wouldn't let my client out of the new space, even though it, this was New York State. New York has said, you know, non-essential businesses should close. They can't use the space physically. But WeWork wanted to still charge them for it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I literally asked the gentleman I was negotiating with, are you in the space right now? Where are you working from? And after hemming and hawing, he admitted he was teleworking. But he expected my client to still come into that space and use it. So yep. you know, be a human being
0: throughout all of this, e- even if you work for a major corporation that is as crappy as some of them. Be good to each other. As, this is especially true with corporations. I mean, I, I find that some of my worst clients are some of the well. That's not true. Some of my best clients are also some of the biggest ones as well, because sure. they, they're all operating within certain parameters. And if if everyone knows what their rules and regulations are, then they can be great clients. Um, but Agreed. but some some corporations they they kind of look at you as as a cash flow management tool if you're an independent contractor. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you don't have if you don't have serious teeth and we call them teeth, that's the term of of law. If there's nothing to bite the other side in your payment provisions, then, you know, it really is payment by lawsuit. I I teach classes at NAB and other places for FMC. And, you know, people always say, well, hey, I have a net 30 clause in my contract. And my reply to that is great. What happens when they don't pay you a net 30? Uh, What is your Uh, contract? Well, it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. That's my point. Right. You'll get paid when they feel like paying you.
0: Exactly. And right. that just
1: kills me. You know, it's such an easy thing to put in the contract that and you don't even have to do payment a late payment. You just put in, you know, 10 percent fee for late for late payments. It doesn't even have to be percentage or of, uh, you know, an interest thing. It's just if you're late and even if you're late six months, you got to pay 10 percent extra. Because they're eventually going to pay you because you're going to sue them if the, num- if the amount's big enough. As as a creative professional, what do you think the dollar amount is that corporations will say? Yeah, they might sue over this
0: because
1: hmm. it's probably going to be a lot larger than you think it is.
0: Yeah, right. I mean, what's what's big to me is uh, a rounding error to them.
1: Right. I'll, I'll tell you straight up, if it's not 15 or. Twenty thousand dollars. It's going to cost you that to sue them. You know, twenty to twenty-five thousand is my bright line where, okay, it might be worth your while to sue. Gotcha. And you would not believe how many little projects there are out there, ten and fifteen thousand dollars, where I look at my client and say, I can refer you to a litigator, and it's going to cost you exactly what you'll recover. Yeah,
0: that's terrible.
1: Oh, well, There's another clause we put in, and you know, I don't always talk about it, but it is, uh, you know, the prevailing party will have their legal fees paid in any dispute hereunder. <laughs> right does <laughs> that factors you into the other side's side's thinking no, on that no, like if uh, no I mean most of the time they don't care because they won't catch yeah. it because it's like yeah. oh whatever so it's a joint you know most contract negotiators for large companies aren't attorneys they're actually contracts professionals and I don't say this that they're stupid or dumb or not well trained but they're not attorneys they're professionals who work in contracts right and they are usually trained if the clause is mutual then it's generally acceptable. So they don't think about the overarching issues there. You know, you can get your legal fees paid. The corporation can get their legal fees paid. But realistically, the corporation doesn't care. They're not going to sue somebody for ten, twenty thousand dollars 20000 Right. But, it, you know, it's a big deal for you.
0: All right. Well, Seth, thank you very much. I mean, uh, uh, you know, it's a it's a confusing time right now. We're, we're in a situation that way more people are having to deal with this than... And all at once. And, yep. and from multiple clients, possibly. I mean, you know, you might have had three or four jobs lined up and, and they might be put on hold very, very quickly, uh, one after the other. And, and kind of you feel like you're swimming in the nether. And the way you fix that problem is by getting information and understanding what your rights are. Uh, and where your rights end get a good contract
1: that's uh, you know if i had to say one thing about this entire conversation just make sure you have a decent contract
0: and you know what's in it well seth so if uh, so if someone wants to talk to you about getting their contract done where can they find you uh, i'm a partner at foundry gc
1: so they can find me at foundrygc.com or they can call me at 240-481-3742 I am Seth C. Polanski on Facebook, although that is a, a really political place for me to be a raging liberal. So maybe not theirs. The, there may not be the best well, place Well, at
0: least you me. forewarn them, right? If you can't handle it, don't, don't look at it, you know?
1: Uh, and, you know, if I can plug the other projects, um, the documentaries my wife and I make, uh, Eye of the Beholder, The Art of Dungeons & Dragons is on Amazon right now. It is a documentary about, uh, about the art of Dungeons and Dragons—it's a pretty cool thing. We flew around the country and interviewed our favorite fantasy artists. It was awesome. That's and the doc awesome. we're working on right now is uh, igniting the spark—the story of Magic: The Gathering. So we're doing a documentary on the history of this this amazing card game that uh, you know people have been playing for 30 years.
0: Yeah, that's terrific. I saw actually—I think today you had some posts up on your Facebook page about that. And,
1: yeah, and, well, uh, we we we, <laughs> we just made it back from Seattle before everything blew up, so. You know, it's, it's quite likely Kelly and I are uh, asymptomatic carriers. So we're sticking around the house for the next two weeks. You quarantined yourself, have
0: you? Yeah, absolutely. You can also be found on LinkedIn Learning. I mean, you you are, like you yep. said, you mentioned earlier in this conversation, uh, you do go around to uh, conferences that, you know, People listening to this podcast are likely to go to, and you do have a LinkedIn Learning uh, course on contracts, I believe, right? Absolutely.
1: Uh, I'm working on one on intellectual property. Uh, I, my garage is now fully fledged studio, and once the weather gets warmer, <laughs> I will record my talking <laughs> head stuff
0: out there. That's awesome. Well, you know, Seth, I know, um, as you know, f- as with many of us, time our time is money. And uh, I thank you very much for taking the time to talk with us here on the Mixing Light podcast.
1: Thanks a lot. It was great being here. And uh, stay safe out there. Wash your hands.
0: Excellent advice. And yes, wash your hands. And we will be back at a later date with another of our one on one interviews with various creative professionals for mixinglight.com. My name is Patrick Inhofer.